I don't know. I didn't, I'm just in one of those moods. I'm kind of in a mood too. <laughs> Dude, it that's should be, awesome. Should be an interesting cool. podcast. That's cool. I guess it's all about you. So great. Thanks, Connor. <laughs> hey, dude, I'm identifying I'm doing with pretty you. Well, I, I'm I'm pretty excited. I think uh, life is great. You know what mood I'm in? What? A good one. Nice, Mike. <laughs> That's it. Cool. Because everybody <laughs> wanted to hear about that. Thanks for talking. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So what's up with you, Father? Why, what, what's your mood about? I'm not really in a mood. I'm just a little, little tired. But, oh, you uh, said you were in a mood. I was just trying to commiserate and also make it about me instead of Rob. Fair. Looking for a reason to yeah, well done. deflect attention. Mm-hmm. No, I'm doing good. I'm, I have lots of reasons to be grateful. My mom made it through okay and doesn't seem to have any loss of function and is now at home recuperating already. So wow. thank you for your prayers and everybody at the seminary and uh, anybody who prayed for her. It meant a lot to her to know that all these people were supporting her and thinking about her. And praying for so uh, and I don't doubt the power of those prayers so I'm happy I've got a lot of reasons to be grateful relax so what's the topic Rob oh man all right um I honestly hadn't hadn't thought of one my brain is fried right now from from finals and stuff but I I will share and we, this can go anywhere I mean we could even talk more about like Thanksgiving or whatever, but had sub had a pretty cool prayer experience the other day in my holy hour. So I'll throw this out there, and if you guys want to go a completely different direction, that's fine too. But that was pretty cool. So just like had this kind of image come to me in prayer, and it was just this realization that like this was a very graced moment in this holy hour. Um, that this was a very deep part of my heart, like a very deep part of my heart. And I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience of just uh, kind of all of a sudden, and it was nothing I did. There's no difference between this and previous holy hours. But just that realization of like, wow, this is a, this is a very real um, part of me that I'm experiencing. And... Uh, kind of floating around down there was a memory that I had from a few years ago that I had not thought of probably in two years or so. And it was our first year of pre-theology here. I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but we were in Father Rugen's class. I think in his logic class, which he just pretty much made fun of us the whole time. Yeah. Don't remember uh, much from that class. No, no. Um, but I remember him asking us one day right before class let out why we wanted to be priests. Because Father Rugen was very, he's one of my favorite professors here. Um, but he's very big on, like, don't speak in cliches. You have to be, you have to make distinctions and you have to be clear when you talk. And so he asked us why we wanted to be priests. And I remember my answer was very much, like, even in talking to him, like, well, I think God might be calling me to it. I want to be a saint. Like, all true things. And he didn't laugh, but he just he pretty much told me, he's like, that's not a very good answer. 
Like you need to be very clear on that. And like I said, I had not thought about this in years, but it came up and I was like, man, why couldn't I answer that question very much? And then another memory kind of just like floated up from this space. And it was a memory from when I was in Haiti and I was working at the, the missionaries of charity in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And there was this little girl named Jessie that um, I think she was like nine months old. She was very, very sick. They had found her. I think the missionaries of charity had found her on the street. And so she was very malnourished. And I remember just holding this little girl for like three hours when I was at this orphanage. And so because we could kind of go do whatever we want when, when we were with the sisters that day. And I just kind of walked around with this little girl in my arms. And I remember having this experience afterwards of like really, really loving this little girl, Jessie. But also kind of this notion that, you know, hopefully in heaven, like we'll get to experience everyone fully, but we'll also get to thank those people that helped us get to heaven. And it was just this like very stark realization for me that hopefully when I'm in heaven someday, Jesse is not going to be the one thanking me. I'm going to be thanking Jesse. Even though going into this mission trip to Haiti, I had this like, I'm going there to be the missionary. I'm going to help these people. And it's just the opposite experience. Hmm. And for whatever reason, those things just like a really deep connection was made like in that prayer time of like, I want to be a priest because Jesse deserves a dad. And that line um, like really resonated um <laughs> whoever that lady is um with me um like i said at that very deep part of my heart and i'm holding back some details obviously for you know um privacy's sake i guess but uh but it was just and i remember like writing in my journal after this holy hour not even like sure exactly what happened or what stirred those memories or even that connection that was drawn between them or that line like I want to be a priest because Jesse deserves a dad. But in my journal I wrote I was like all I know is that in that moment like I was really me. Like that was an experience of my true self like in that moment in the chapel with God and an experience of um man I was really me. I know who I am in that in that moment in a in a really like perfectly clear way and it's cool just to have that experience because everything else when you're at that spot like everything else just kind of falls away and it can really be you and god then and so it's cool like very real encounters in my life probably some healing there somewhere so there's some stuff to unpack but i don't know i, I honestly didn't really have a topic but that just kind of came up in my mind when you asked for a topic of pretty cool experience so we can start there that's that beautiful was very man. profound yeah thank you. For, thank you yeah you know it reminds me of um a few years into the seminary somebody you know we have to do that seminary appeal weekend every year where you go to the parishes and uh basically ask for money but they always were like what people want to hear is your story you know how how come you decided to become a priest and first few years at least i just told my story like in chronological order of how I got to the seminary and it was I don't know it's a little bit like telling someone your itinerary on how you got to your destination but I realized from somebody asking me like people don't just want to hear um, 
how you came to the seminary, but why you want to be a priest. Um, and maybe what was difficult at the first few years in telling the story was that I didn't really know why I wanted to be a priest, kind of like you not having an answer to Father Rugen's question. Yeah. Or I wasn't even sure I did want to be a priest. Yeah. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned holding an orphan because it was a pretty similar experience for me at the orphanage in El Salvador. And I think I've told some stories from that before of feeling like a father to the fatherless uh, there because you belong to them 100%. Like you don't yep. have another family that you're you're just sort of like working a job by feeding them. Your, your whole heart belongs to them. And uh, they belong to you, you know, and there's a there's a certain bond there, a relationship that's prior simply because of celibacy and the priesthood. Um, but uh, then my story, I was still telling stories like I still do this to this day. I went and had dinner with a, a couple and their grandparents, uh, one of their grand sets of grandparents that uh, I'm going to marry in February and. Um, not particularly religious, not Catholic, uh, these grandparents and they were, but they were interested, you know, why did, why did, what, you know, how did you end up becoming a priest and blah, 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 you're so young. And, and now I've just kind of got these stories that I, I would get tired of telling the whole, well, this happened, I grew up Catholic and blah, 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 blah. But I could just tell like a story from the orphanage or a story about IPF and Omaha and my, you know, relationship with God and these little vignettes that tell tell the story at least to me like in my own head how i construct the narrative of how i ended up becoming a priest is through these kind of like tableaus of of experience where i was like you said i felt like myself and it becomes so uncliche because the cliche is cliche because it's abstract it can apply to absolutely anyone in almost any situation right well god called me to it i feel i felt you know, that this is how God was preparing me to go to heaven, to be a saint. And like all you, like you say, all true things, but uh, until, I mean, we're an incarnational religion. It's real. Everybody is unique and has a unique vocation in life. But what that means is that it's like terrifyingly concrete and particular. You know, the parents that you have, the family of origin, um, all your experiences, negative and positive, have formed you into who you are. Uh, The choices you've made, and something just happens to a person and you know if you, if somebody asks you like how did you end up marrying that woman um you'd be like excuse me well because she's beautiful and because of this and that and um I right. or even bother. funny stories of like we had this experience that we happened to be together and then like xyz happened sure right and uh that's kind of, i mean that's really particular one person in the world is your spouse for the rest of your life you know um and that's why if you're if you're the kind of personality that has to be sure about everything like how can i know that this is the person or how can i know that god's calling me to be a priest it's very difficult to jump off the fence uh into either side of that into a relationship of committed love which is the matrix of all happiness like you you have to commit to a beloved to get with the meaning of existence which is to give yourself away uh, and it must be total, you know, it can't be like half-hearted. I'm just going to live with this person, but I don't want to commit in case things don't work out. I want to make sure we're compatible. And okay, great. I understand that. Like rationally speaking, that makes sense. But 
do you really just want your life to be this cold, calculated, rational experience? You kind of have to let go and swim in the ocean of uncertainty. That's to talk about a cliche, but uh, in order to be happy. Uh, but that's that's what kind of was resignating with me. Just let it resonate there. <laughs> let it resonate. But you know, when, resignate. when all the resignation was hitting, okay, something that uh, really resonated with me was... Uh, Kind of what you were talking about, Father, with the telling of the stories. Uh, I guess two observations is one: the more and more that I guess I get closer to ordination and realize what the vocation of the priest is in regards to other people, it's uh, it's much less about me than I thought it was, <laughs> and it's much more just telling people how God is working constantly. So understanding that God is the center of not just my own life but other people's lives and all of creation, and people want to see a living God that's in action. And so the priest, that's all he does. He just comes and says, hey, look, this is where grace is shining in your life. This is where the Lord is working. This is where he's trying to work in your life. Um, and I guess one of the things that that really strikes me about uh, like telling the story is, again, it's much less about like, how did I end up here? But more so, how did where was God throughout my life where I encountered him to the point where I wanted to fall in love or I wanted to be romanced by him and fall in love and make him my individual beloved, which I remember Deacon Keating from IPF was huge. He was like, look, when you go over to people's houses for dinner or for lunches or whatever, especially newly, newly married couples who are getting ready to, you know, have children or are just starting off or even beginning the marriage process, ask them, like, how did you fall in love? You know, how, tell me that story of what it was like when y'all first met and this and that. And then he said, they always want to know and be sure that you tell them how you fell in love with God, how you fell in love with Christ. Because we do have a romance story. We do have a, a, a tale of, um, of falling for a beloved. Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about is people don't want to hear you know, like if, if you ask someone, hey, how did y'all how did y'all get married? And they started off like, oh, I was born in San Diego, which I'm just thinking about my vocation story <laughs> right. I told this year. You're like, okay, that's, uh, I mean, I, that's applicable. And this is, that's, that's you. But like, tell me how y'all met. Let me hear that experience that brought you two together, you know? And I think that's what you're saying is like, I encountered myself in as Christ in this other person in these experiences when I'm holding this little baby I'm meeting Christ in the child but I'm also meeting who I am God is showing me himself and me and what he what he wants me to be hey you are a father here look at this that's an encounter and experience with another person that makes you fall in love you know and I think if we were to really look at our vocation stories um, I guess I mean, I don't have anything off the top of my head. I probably need to pray about it. It's a really good point, but we could probably all mention experiences where it was like, this is where I met the guy, uh, and this is where I, I really began to fall in love. Well, and isn't it interesting, too, that like at Christmas, what we celebrate is the, the God of the universe becoming a baby um, that could be held in our arms, you know, the desire of nations, the key of David. Um, the long-awaited savior is this child, um, and it it 
kind of boggles the mind and it's it's almost humorous it's like a joke almost that the most powerful guy could become this fragile uh person but at the same time it, it does call out like a, a child especially especially an infant calls out of our humanity a, a gentleness and a, a love that's doesn't question you know like does this person deserve my love have they earned it or have they done something that you know offends me and therefore i'm right and righteous and withholding my love you know we're used to holding grown people accountable for their actions and then like loving them in the measure with which they deserve it but a baby just calls something out of us that's like mother or father um it's just unadulterated gift that i want to care for this person and um, not ask the question why and the fact that you know your experience your your you know like the confluence of those two things why do i want to be a priest and holding a baby for three hours makes perfect sense in that way of thinking you know um when as you i don't know i i actually thought about in this in this same holy hour i think your line from a couple months ago bisque of like that little, you know, high school scared kid Rob is still somewhere in there as well. And like the incarnation, the fact that our, our faith is incarnate allows us to have these experiences of truly being ourselves. And so even as that matures, like I had what was cool as as that connection was made between that Father Rugen question of why do you want to be a priest? Like, no, be clear about that. Why do you want to be a priest? And holding this little girl named Jesse, well, because Jesse deserves a dad. Um, then it was just, it's this, it's a very real experience of God saving me in that. Yeah. Um, and I even thought about another experience then of, again, I actually really liked Mike's point of like, you got to know your love story, man, because if you don't, you're toast in this, in this life. And have I told you guys about the the story of when I was on the train home and I ended up talking? Have, do you remember that story? I do remember. That was years Hamlet ago, girl? right? That was another. Oh, that was another one? Uh, that was another time on the okay. train. But oh, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast, but really quick. Rip it. Yep. So I'm, at, I'm going home, I think for a funeral, actually. So I, I grabbed a train ticket home. So I'm down at Union Station. And I'm just like small talk with this guy sitting across from me. And there's this girl sitting across from me. I can tell she's very interested in our conversations. Okay. And objectively, this girl is a knockout, like an absolute <laughs> knockout. And I don't notice this. Things. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm indifferent. So it. what do I do? Strike up a conversation. Obviously. <laughs> um, but it turns out she's from like a really small central Illinois town, like 30 minutes from where I grew up. And yeah, me and this girl, you can say hit it off like very, very clearly. Um, and we ended up talking for like three hours then on on the train ride. And it was um, it was really, really cool. Like a real friendship developed there. So I don't like talk to her now, but I'm still in contact with her every now and then from this conversation. And towards the end, she was fascinated that I was studying to be a priest, like absolutely fascinated because we had very, very similar backgrounds. Um, she was, I think she was even the same age as me. 
Um, and it's just one of those times like you kind of find, I don't know, like it's like hanging out with somebody from your hometown, you know, or someone you grew up with. And it's like this person just gets me at like a deep level, even though I don't know them that well. Um, so it was a very like encouraging conversation, but she was fascinated that I was studying to be a priest, like could not, could not fathom that in her mind. And finally, after like two and a half hours of this conversation, she gets to the whole celibacy thing. And she was like, how, like, how in the world are you doing that? Just very frankly. And I don't know what, what I said, honestly, I don't remember, um, at all what I said, but afterwards like in in the days after that even in prayer um this girl also had just a lot of like brokenness in her life she was kind of in a rough spot in her in her life and um i just remember like very authentically loving this girl and for me it was a very maturing experience because it was an experience of being very very attracted to this girl very attracted and connecting like in a very real way with this girl but I didn't want to date her like I didn't want to take her on a date even like I just wanted to love her authentically and that was kind of the answer that I had even after that conversation of like how in the world can you want to be a a celibate you know in today's age blah blah blah. Um, and the answer there was like because you deserve someone that loves you and can like look you in the eye and and tell you that you're worth something. Um, and so even that experience, I don't know if that made sense exactly how the, how I told that story, but um, but that experience was very real for me. Of like this this love is very tangible, and I w- wouldn't be able to receive it at least in this way without the call that God's given to me. And so then, boom, like, there's that experience again of that was me. Like, in those couple hours or whatever, like, that was me. But it hinges, that experience of, like, really being me hinges on what you were talking about, Bisque, of that gift of love. Like, when you're able to give yourself totally in a committed way, that's the beauty of the incarnation is like we can do it and then we can literally love the person in front of us in a tangible, real way. That's not cliche Mm -hmm. because then we have stories that we can go to. And it's like, that's not a cliche anymore because that's a story that happened. Yeah. And And it's even a story that you can tell yourself, you know, like you absolutely in times when you don't feel free, you don't feel like yourself or you're confused about your vocation. You can go back to these stories that's why I love St. Augustine, why I wrote my paper on him, because the whole going through his own story and having God kind of tell it to him through the confessions is is this cathartic thing. And it's it's a also evangelizing thing because other people can identify with the, your story and its concreteness but and apply it to their own lives. But, you know, I was thinking this is something I've thought about a lot, and especially a while ago when I was first uh, ordained, is that like the, the boundaries necessary to maintain a celibate vocation um you know not flirting or you know acting like a bachelor sure um especially with women your your age it's it's not just a negation it's not just a like i can't do that and that's bad it's to maintain what exactly what you're talking about with this woman on the train is like the boundary is there to set you free kind of like the chesterton analogy of the kids playing on the 
side of the cliff when the when the fence is gone you just huddle around the middle of the island scared that you might fall off but when the fence is there you can run around even run right up to it and feel safe because you know and she knows that you're committed um, to something and someone else so that you both can be vulnerable in ways that you couldn't if like dating was even on the table you know and another thing it's, it's like what you're, the boundaries allow the freedom for married couples to come in and talk to a priest uh, who has, I mean, we, we've talked about this, who has no experience of being married um, or the girl who's going through boyfriend troubles um, or the boyfriend who's going through girlfriend troubles or whatever. It's because that boundary allows for people to see the priest as the love filter because when they're coming in, they don't want to hear... They don't want to hear, I mean, of course, the like the practicalities and the particulars of these relationships are very important, but they want to hear words of love that they, are going on in their life. They certainly don't want to hear cliches. They don't want to hear cliches, but they, they want to hear the priest has to be uh, a man of love. And so when they're coming in, and even like, even as I'm speaking now, I thank God for the formation process because... All of the cliches that we begin and even ideas that are formulated in philosophy and theology are slowly not broken down, but built up from the bottom, I'd say from, well, from the top down, because then you have these practicalities that are connecting ideas through the maturation of the formation process to the everyday. So like what you're talking about, I want to be a saint or um, what was the other one you said? I want to do God's will. I think God's calling yeah. me to this. I want to be... A saint. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's that's good. That's a good answer. But you you for yourself, you need to be able to answer that question. And I think that was what Rugen was talking about that day. Yeah. Even though in his personality we didn't really get that. No, actually I hated it. But that's what he was talking about. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean doing God's will is not a good answer? How dare you, sir? Yeah. <laughs> you should be kicked out of this institution. <laughs> I, that's illogical. But you know what it just made me think of. Um, I think I talked about a C.S. Lewis book um, that I read recently called Till We Have Faces. And boom, shakalaka, right there is exactly what we're talking about. And I remember it was a line that you said from an old priest from IPF. And a lot of our podcasts is just like quoting quoting different people. <laughs> IPF, God bless him, man. Yeah. We would not have an IPF Shout podcast out. without IPF. Yeah. But you said... Oh, my priesthood, the old guy was talking about... Uh, yeah, my, yeah, my priesthood now, um, it has faces to it. Yeah. Right? Or some, it was something... Well, I said, effect, what's right? the best... He had been a priest like 50 or 60 years. And he was like, well, now the people that I became a priest for have faces. Yeah. Whereas when I was in seminary, they didn't. It was very real. But now looking back over 50 years, now they have faces. Yeah. Um, so the people I married, the confessions I heard, etc., they have faces. Dude, this till we have faces, must read. It is a must read. I saw okay? it on my Amazon suggested list, but I, I it, almost it, clicked it. Dude, it's out of this world. Okay, it, so I read it, and there's a there's so much to it, and I listened to a Kreef talk on it, Peter Kreef, and he breaks it down, and he talks about one of the main points in it is the whole idea behind the book in and of itself, is God. When we encounter God. Not only do we see who he is and is he the answer to all of our questions, but we are also 
we also get a face. We have a face in the sense that like as individuals, God is now able to love us as as us. Because in, in encountering God, we also encounter who we are. Yeah. Which to get back to your original point, like when we when you encounter Christ in this child or when you encounter people in the confessional, Father, this is an encounter of Christ where you're you're seeing Jesus and in seeing him you're also finding out who you are at the deepest level of who you are. Yeah, because in like in seeing him, you see yourself. Yeah, who you really are. Yeah, and that's I mean I want to get too much into the book, but there's some like different gods that uh, that that flow in and out throughout the book, and uh, I, I'll just let you read it and listen to it. Yeah, and we got it. We got a piece out for formation as well. It's five tell. Rob, you're always a stickler for that. Yeah, well, we no, thank have, God for it because yeah. I would miss. miss <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> every week. <laughs> hey, and thanks for we got tons of new reviews. Oh, what, we got like nice. four of them. Whoa! Oh, I don't, I don't know about four. I saw two new ones. Nice. Did Cusack give us a review? Cusack gave yeah. us a review. You dog, Cusack. Heck, you are yeah. actually a no, dog. You're literally you a dog. Do not yes. forget that. Yeah, <laughs> I've been saying that I'm going to call you Cusack, and I will. He's been saying that for two years. I realize I don't have your number in my phone though. <laughs> so. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. <laughs>